Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning, we have the opportunity to have David Hamstra, who is actually out at Cross Point, the pastor out there, bring the word for us this morning. So let's give him a warm welcome. And... I like the semi-enthusiastic applause. I don't know if that means if you're genuinely excited to have me here or you're just being nice, but just being nice, either way, I appreciate that. At least you are an honest church. I um, wanted to say a lot to embarrass my older brother John, who is preaching at Living Word today. Uh, but I'm taking the high road because um, that's what the, the middle kid does. The older one is the one that embarrasses. The middle one is the one who takes the high road. So I just want to just commend uh, Johnny to you guys. Um, I have just about daily interaction with him. And I think one thing that really uh, blesses me is his heart, his love for this church, for you guys. And he really brings before the Lord the, the different circumstances and situations that um, he's called to in your life. And, and so I just uh, appreciate his love for Jesus, his love for you guys. And I am really uh, just thankful to have this time with you this morning. It's always uh, a bit nostalgic for my wife Beth and I to be here. Uh, we have, uh, not only my parents are here, um, but we have a lot of friends who go uh, many years back with us in ministry and serving God and doing mission trips to the Middle East. And, uh, and so it's a special time for us to be here to, to share the Word of God with you. And so uh, this morning, I just want to pray and open up God's Word. I'm going to share just a, three short scriptures with us, and I hope that it will be of help to us in our life as we try to navigate uh, the times that we live in, uh, which can be fraught with so much difficulty. So let me pray and open up and and we'll jump into the word. God, I thank you this morning that that you are speaking to us. God, I thank you that you are not silent, that you are not distant from us, Lord, but even in Revelation, Lord, there's a picture of, of you, Jesus, walking among your churches. And so, uh, Lord, even today we can... Uh, be comforted by knowing that you are right here among us, Lord. And I just pray that you would equip us, that you would give us, um, Lord, not only the knowledge, but the, the ability to know how to live in the time that you have placed us. God, we ask that your word would, would transform us, it would go in and through us, and Lord, every word that is of, of me that is of no value, let it just drop to the ground. And I pray that every word from you, Lord, would bear fruit in our lives. And just pray your blessing in our time this morning. Amen. Um, so I, I want to just um, give a, a little bit of uh, information to set up the scripture we're looking at today. And, and I'm going to look at um, some interesting information that has to do with the, the average American lifespan. And so uh, I'm going to just maybe ask a few questions and you can raise your hand or you can answer um, I don't know if you've ever been in a church service where the pastor's asked a question, he really wasn't intending on you raising your hand, and you did, and it was really embarrassing. Uh, well, there's no trick questions today, so you guys can actually, like, interact with me. You guys ever done that? Like, you know, they said, has anyone here dealt with unforgiveness to the pastor? And, like, one person raised their hand, and, and he's like, you don't have to raise your hands, but everyone knows you did, and everyone's staring at you, and I, I've been there, and it's not fun. So I'm not going to do that to you. And so, um, 
just feel free if you want. So anyone here drive over a half hour a day to their job? Any commuters in the church? A lot of us are commuters here. They say on, in the average life in America, we will spend uh, 9,100 hours commuting for work, which adds up to about over one year in our cars in our lifetime, just driving to and from work. And so in your life, you will spend one year in your car just driving back and from work. Uh, do we have any uh, cell phone talkers? Any talkers? Usually, like, if you're, like, under 20, you're the texters and you don't do that anymore. But do we still have some holdouts, some people who like to get on the phone? Yeah? So um, my mom's like, yes. <laughs> I can attest to that. Um, people spend uh, about 5,508 minutes a year, on average, on a cell phone. Um, that's uh, basically almost four days' worth in a year on the phone. Um, just a note of interest, if you ever, have you ever been on hold for just a long time and it's really frustrating and like no one's answering, you get this horrible elevator music and you just want to just slam the phone down? You guys ever been there? Um, so on average, we will spend in our lifetime 43 days on hold. Uh, could you, I mean, just appreciate that next time you're like on that phone on hold, you're like, this is adding up to my 43 days and I'm not excited about that. Um, do we have any TV watchers here? Are we all Amish, or do we have TVs? Yes? Okay. You're like ashamed that you watch TV. I mean, it's okay. Like, there's freedom in Christ. We can own a TV. I don't know what Johnny's teaching. Um, We will watch, in our lifetime, on average, over nine years of TV. That includes over two million commercials. And so uh, they say, on average, the Americans will spend about four hours daily watching TV. Uh, that's a lot of TV. And uh, if you're here and you do that, you're, if you fit the average, I want to tell you that's a lot of TV. Uh, just so if you're confused on what's too much, four hours is definitely too much. Uh, my wife and I, we just have um, this realization that we have an average family. And so we have tried to put Calvin down for four hours on TV, and it's hard to do. And so I just want to say, I'm joking, but uh, it just seems like it's hard. I don't know about you guys, but that seems like a lot of TV. Four hours. Um, you know, when it comes to our eating, on average, the American will eat 18 tons of food in their life. Uh, that's about 23 cows per person. Uh, 85 fish. Uh, any chicken lovers? Chicken? I love chicken. Uh, 704 chickens in your life. 22 pigs, 35 turkeys, and the sheep are thankful. Only 12 sheep in our lifetime. Uh, that's a lot of time spent eating food. You know, uh, one of my favorites is kissing. On average, Americans will spend uh, up to two weeks of their life kissing another person. Um, that's 336 hours. And so that's pretty cool, right? Two weeks of kissing. Um, I want to be above average in that, in that category. Um, just in terms of living, uh, on average, we will live in 11.7 different homes in our lifetime. And so all the moves growing up to college, to adulthood, uh, you will be in almost 12 different homes in your life. Uh, that's a lot of moving. And when we think about those statistics and how much time we spend doing all those things, the reality is it doesn't seem like we have much time for anything else. 
And so it's no surprise that, you know, when you talk with other believers and talk about your spiritual life, oftentimes we say we don't have much time for praying. We seem to have very little time for reading God's Word. And, man, the pastor keeps bothering about joining those life share groups, but I just don't have time to do it. Is that, have you guys ever said that? I just don't have time. Anybody? Yeah. Well, um, that's the challenge that we have today, is it seems like there is so little time, especially for things like praying, reading, and, and getting with other, together with other believers. More than ever, I want to just submit this to you, that we need God's Word to instruct us and to show us how to live our life. And so we're going to look at three simple verses in Ephesians that I believe will help adjust us and give us freedom with how we're supposed to live our lives. How many people are thankful here that the Christian life is not complicated? Amen? I mean, I think sometimes that is part of the work of the enemy, is that, you know, there's a sense in which it seems to be so overly complicated with how we are called to live our life. And I just want to say, man, Jesus makes it very simple. And so I just want to look at three verses that Paul is using to help the church in Ephesus know how to arrange their lives. And so we're looking at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. We're going to have it on the screen, but if you do have uh, the Bibles, feel free to open up to them. And read along with me. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Three simple verses, three simple commands that Paul gives to the church. And these are great commands for us to pull together in our hearts and and just really ask, God, are these the things that are driving my life? He says three things. One in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. Verse 16, making the best use of the time. And verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. So the first thing he says in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. Paul is calling them to be a people with undivided attention, giving care to their personal behavior. He was concerned with how the church in their daily life was carrying themselves. Just recently, we had a, a couple come to our church, and this uh, girl works at a pharmacy, and uh, they're going to one church for several years, and basically, she was so fed up with people at that pharmacy with complaining about interacting with people from her church. They were saying, the people from this church are have such bad attitudes, they're, they're such just bad people and they're not kind and and so this couple actually it got them to a point where they say we can't deal with this any longer they left the church there and they came to cross point because they said we just want to be with people who really are a joy and bring life to where they go that is what paul is charging them here is that we would give uninvited attention that we would have the utmost concentration on leading an irreproachable life how how often do we consider how we live each day. How much time do we give thought to our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, whether it's at home with our family, at work, or out with our friends? We're called not to live foolish, not to be unwise, but to live 
with wisdom. And this happens in the most unexpected circumstances. Just after Christmas, I was returning a few things, and I was at the sporting goods store returning a, a T-shirt. And as I, was, I used like a small gift card, you know, when I made the purchase, and so as I was returning it, uh, this lady at the cashier would, would not count that gift card against the purchase. Like, she wouldn't give me credit. It was just like, you, you lose the money. Sorry, it's gone. You're just going to get three bucks instead of whatever. And I'm like, no, I, just you can give me a gift card again. That's fine. But, you know, I need to, whatever the shirt was worth, I should get it back. And she says, no, you, you lose it. You know, you used it, you lose it. This is what you're getting. And for me, it just seems so illogical. I, I don't know if you ever had that happen. That's fine if it's like, this is the rules, this is fair, this makes sense. But to me, I'm like, this does not make any sense. And so there's people in line with me. And so I'm like, hey, can you guys just help me? I know you're in line. I'm sorry this is taking long. I'm not mad. I did this. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I have a thick head, but this does not make sense. Does this make sense to you? If it does, just tell me because I don't get it. And so as we're interacting, I'm, I'm getting the line involved. This is a group project. <laughs> You know, I'm having like three managers, the whole, half the store is there. I'm like, guys, I, and I'm, I'm just, I got to say, as a guy, I'm like, I'm not angry. I like you. It's not you. I just want to just know, does this make sense? And so it got to the point after like the crowds around us, everyone's there, that I have the conviction of the Lord saying, so what if you are right? So what if this is illogical? Are you representing me to these people today? If they came to your church that Sunday, would you be like, oh man, and you know, duck out and have someone else preach? I mean, and so I, I just had to recognize, Lord, I'm just going to lay it down. And so I said, you know what? I don't understand, but I'm just going to keep the shirt, have a great day, and I walked away. And it was like a half hour later, I'm sure half the line hated me. And in those moments, Paul is saying it's those times that we need to give the utmost attention to how we are living our lives. Are we representing Jesus? Are we being the Rome of Christ to those people in those moments that we don't plan for? And so that's the first charge simply that we are given by God is to look carefully how we walk. The next thing in verse 16, we see Paul charging them to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of their time. And I just want to um, break this down a little bit. I'm going I'm to try to sound cool because I'm going to use some Greek words. And usually when guys up front use Greek words, they try to make themselves sound really smart. Um, and I'm not. And so this is just things that I've read, and I'm not very smart. So I just want to qualify that, okay? Um, there's two things that, the two words the Greek usually use for time. There's this word called chronos. And chronos means sequential time. Like if you have a watch, it keeps sequential seconds, minutes, hours. That is chronos time. And so often in the scriptures or in Greek writing, they'll use the word chronos to illustrate time. And so it is measured. And so when people say, when does your, what time does your church service end? They're asking for a measured time. It ends at 1 p.m. because we have a special speaker today. Or it, it's going for a long time. Or our church lasts for, you know, an hour and a half because we have Bears games during the Bears season. That is, that is chronos time. It's measured. It's, it's slotted. It's there. And another word that the writers would use, a different word for time, is this word kairos. And kairos is not, nothing to do with sequential time. It has to do with these defining moments 
in our life and in our journeys. It's when God shows up in this moment in our life and we are changed in that moment. It's, it's a strategic time that happens. And so just, you know, to think about, you know, I was just driving this week on the expressway out in the country and there's these big hawks that would be up in trees in different places and they're just sitting there waiting, watching patiently for that little field mouse, that little rodent that they could get. And so they were waiting for, not like at 2 p.m., it's my lunch break and I need to go get my food. They were waiting for that moment in time where they saw that right thing that they would just go and just dive in and get it. It would be that Kairos moment that they would grab their prey. And Paul is saying to the church here, He's not interested so much in their chronos time in sequential seconds, minutes, hours. He's saying, make the best use of your kairos time that God gives you. In Romans 5, 6, Paul says, At the just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul's not saying on Friday at 2 p.m. it was just a perfect time that, that Christ died on the cross. It was at 1.30 would have been bad, 2 p.m. was perfect. Paul is saying, no, in, in the history of the world, in this defining moment of all of history and civilization, in that moment when Christ went to the cross, then that was just the right time. And so the charge for us as God's people is that we would be a people that would make the use of every kairos moment that God gives us. A few examples to be helpful. There is this lady, Wendy, who goes to Crosspoint. She is a wonderful, beautiful lady. She's got saved in the last few months. And uh, Wendy, she worked for many years uh, in the steel mill, retired, and really went into this deep, dark depression in her life where it just consumed her. And so she just couldn't do a thing. She was powerless. They actually had to check her into a clinic, a psych ward, because she was manic depressant. And so she had all these meds. Her life was a mess. There, there just wasn't much light happening in her life. Well, praise God that a neighbor across the street named Deb, believer in Jesus, she goes to Crosspoint. Deb just loved on this lady. And so periodically, Deb would come and bring a meal. Periodically, Deb would come and just, how can I help you? Is there anything I can help clean your house with? And they, it was never a deep relationship, not much happening, but periodically, Deb would just come over. And, you know, those moments didn't seem like they were significant. Those moments didn't seem like they were open doors. But there was a moment in Wendy's life where it got so deep, so dark, so desperate, that that next time that Deb came to her and said, hey, can we go for a walk? Now, she asked many times before, never happened, but there was a Kairos moment that Deb did not miss. She didn't give up. She kept persevering, and she said, can we go for a walk? And that day, Wendy said yes. And on that walk, they began just to talk about the things of God, talk about Wendy's life and where it was headed and what her struggles were. And Deb just encouraged her, just talked about the hope in Jesus. And they went for more walks and for more walks and one day, on Deb's front porch, they had the swing. Both Deb and Wendy were sitting there, and it was on that, on that porch, in that moment, that Wendy said, Deb, I need to give my life to Jesus. So Wendy right there committed her heart to God, got plugged into Cross Point Church, and this lady is crazy for Jesus. And it's funny because she is so full of joy, so full of life, that everywhere she goes, it's contagious. Like, you just want to be around this lady. And there's this new girl one day that was there. Wendy was there like, like three weeks. And this new girl that came for the first Sunday, just heard about the church. And she was like in her mid-20s. And I saw Wendy. I said, Wendy, this is, a, this is a new girl. Her name's Elizabeth. Would you have, you know, introduce? And she's like, are you by yourself? Oh, come sit with me. And so Elizabeth goes and sits with her. And before you know it, like months later, 
Elizabeth, people think Elizabeth is Wendy's daughter because they do everything together. But Wendy adopted her, and Wendy's loving on her, and, and Wendy's like, man, you know what's funny is my son actually thinks that I'm crazy again. He asks if I need to go back in the clinic because I have so much joy and so much laughter in my life now that he's like, what happened to you going off the deep end? And she's like, I got Jesus. And that is her story. A Kairos-defining moment. Let's go for a walk. Led to a powerful conversion experience for Wendy. I think about Butch, who um, came into my office maybe a month ago. Butch um, was looking for work. He wasn't you know, there asking for money. He just said, hey, man, I'm in a tough place. I just need a job. And so if you know somebody in your church that can help, you know, please tell me. And so we get people come in periodically, and we try to help with what we can. Uh, but it was in that moment that I felt God do something in my heart where I needed to make the time to sit down with Butch. And so I said, Butch, why don't you come to my office? Let's just have a talk. And so me and Butch sat down, and I just began to ask him questions about his life. Tell me about your journey. Tell me about, you know, who is God to you? How, how does that work in your life? And what, what's your background? What, what led you to this point? And so as Butch shared and just talked about his life, he said, you know, I feel like people, they have this light on them from God, but I don't have that. I, I feel like it's just dark where I'm at. And so I said, Butch, can I just share the good news of Jesus Christ with you? Is that okay? And he said, sure. And so that morning in my office, we sat down and I just shared the gospel, a simple gospel. You know, Butch, we were in darkness, we were lost, and Christ came to rescue us, not because we're good, but simply because of his love for us as sinners. And when that love transformed my life through Jesus' death on the cross and his victory, that same thing can be for you. And you know what Butch said to me? That's really good news. He was like, wow, that's really cool. And so I said, Butch, how about today you give your life to Jesus? How about today you start this journey with Jesus? And he said, sure. And so we just knelt down right there in my office, and Butch gave his life to Jesus. You can meet him at Cross Point Church. These are Kairos moments that we don't fully get. Maybe we don't see the full picture. But Paul is saying, make the most use of those moments in your life. Moms, you might be changing diapers and you got some smelly kids and you're just sick of it and it's all day long and it is tough. And in the midst of those moments in your life, God might open up a door for you to share a profound truth about Jesus Christ in your child's life. It might be a defining moment in your kid's life and you never know it. Kairos moments. Now, we can't control those. There's times where, you know, it doesn't always go well. Just recently, I picked up a hitchhiker on 41. He was walking like south down um, 41 in St. John. I'm like, this guy's probably going to Cedar Lake, maybe to Crown Point. It's not too far. So I pick him up and I'm like, hey man, what's going on? Can I give you a ride? He's like, sure. He puts all his stuff in the car, gets in the car, and I'm like, so where do you need to go? He's like, West Virginia. I'm like, seriously? (laughs) Seriously, like Crown Point, you know, Maybe DeMott, like, I, you know, I got some great, West, I'm like, what do you do with that? And so there are moments that we have no control over that don't go as planned. But God is constantly opening windows of opportunity. And Paul's saying, don't miss it. Don't miss your Kairos moment in your day that God has ordained for you to have a profound effect for eternity in someone's life. Amen? You guys doing all right? All right, verse 17. Last thing is this. He says, look carefully how you walk. Make most use of the time. And thirdly, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Our charge as believers in Christ is to know God's will. Now, this is something that can really trip people up. I had the privilege of working with young adults for seven years, and this issue of God's will for a person's life trips up more young people than I've ever seen. Because there's this fear, this paralyzing fear that we would get it wrong. You know, like there's that perfect mate out there and you're dating someone and is this the right person? And if it isn't, I'm going to miss it for all eternity and I'm going to be with the wrong person. I got it. And so there's so much, so many issues and questions that come up in people's life that instead of bringing faith, it actually paralyzes us when it comes to God's will. I, I think what's helpful when we look at God's will is that we start with certainty. That we begin with things that we know to be true, regardless of our age, our sex, our season of life, that we know that we know that this is God's will for our life. And so I just want to just point out two of those that are very clear in the scriptures. First thing is this, God's will for our life is that we would look like his son, Jesus. We see in Ephesians 5.1, Paul simply says, be imitators of God. Our charge, our call as Christians is simply to follow Jesus. That is his will for your life for the rest of your life. Until you have your dying breath, his will is that you would look like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And so whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a parent, whether you work, whether you are on a mission trip, your mission, your calling in life is to look like Jesus. One way that we are able to understand that is through God's word. When we read about Jesus in the Gospels, when we read about Jesus throughout the whole scriptures, this helps us know, does my life line up with what Jesus is like? This is why it is so important for us to read God's word. We have too many Christians that just wear a bracelet and it's enough for them. I tell you what, if you ask what would Jesus do and you have no idea, you're not going to ever have an answer. And so this is so important that we are people that devour God's word, that we say, I want to know what Jesus looks like because I want that to be my life. And so we need to be people who have a passion and hunger for the word of God. Second thing is this, we, we're never going to arrive. Unfortunately, if you think that you, know, you have arrived, I just want to tell you you haven't. Uh, our ship will never come in. We will never arrive. Our life is a journey of looking more like Jesus. And that will never end. Amen? Second thing is this. God's will for life is to look like Jesus. God's will for our life is that we would live for eternity. That our driving passion, that our thoughts, that we would be consumed with this reality that one day Jesus is returning. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says simply this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul's saying give yourself into discipline, strict training, to live for that eternal reward, that eternal crown that we have in Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to give our lives to. And this is the very thing that Paul was charging the church to consider as he was charging them to live their lives. If we just back up two little verses, in verse 13 and 14, before Paul gives those three simple commands, Paul is saying something very profound to the church. He says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is highlighting to the church this reality that the power of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, our faith in Christ and what he has done for us, allows us to go from darkness into light. And so Paul said, once all of us could not see right. There were things that were invisible to us. There, were, there was a world that we did not know that existed. We lived in this perpetual state of darkness. But Paul said that when the lights of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we had that moment in our life where we heard the good news of Jesus Christ and something in our heart leapt, something in our heart responded, something in our heart said, I want that for my life. Paul's saying what happened is we went from darkness into light and this invisible world that existed that we could not see, now we are able to see. And that's why he then says, in this charge, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That it's, it's almost like you were dead and now you are alive. That you were asleep and now in Christ you are awake. And this is the thing that we are charged to live for. The sense of knowing, of seeing that day that we are living for. Where every single one of us will stand before Christ. Every one of us by ourselves will stand before Christ. And we will receive the just rewards for the life that we live. Now, if we're in Christ, there's no punishment. It's not a time of punishment, but it's a time of reward. And Paul is saying, now in Christ, we can see and we know that day is coming. And therefore, it should change how we live our lives. One, one helpful example for me that really helped me to understand this better was uh, the life of Oscar Schindler. Has anybody ever seen Schindler's List here? It, it is not one of those fun date night movies that you go and you know, have popcorn and, and it's not a, a fun movie. It is a very disturbing, a very sad, a very horrific movie about the Holocaust and what the Germans did to the Jewish people. And at the center of this story, I encourage you guys to get this movie, is this character named Oscar Schindler. Now, he was this German guy who basically was corrupt, was immoral. He was chased women. He, was loved, he loved booze, and he loved money. And so when the Germans advanced around Europe and took over Poland, he took advantage of that and basically went to the bankruptcy court, bought this massive factory, and took over this factory. Well, you know, it's nice when you have labor that doesn't cost anything. And so Schindler had about 1,000 Jewish people come uh, in a concentration camp kind of format and work in his factory. And it was in that place, as they were making different things for the German troops, for the German people, and as he saw the treatment of the Jewish people, uh, people to this day cannot ex- explain what happened, but there's something in Schindler that was transformed where he said, this, this cannot go on any longer. What is happening to these people? These are real human beings. This cannot go on. So what basically Schindler does, he spent his life, his fortune, his influence, and all that he had, he spent on saving these Jewish people. And so he would make up these crazy, ridiculous uh, stories and reasons for these Jewish people to stay in his factory so that he could protect them and save them. And it cost him everything. He had to bribe people. He had to bribe the Gestapo. He had to do all these things to save these people. And at the end of his life, at the end of uh, the World War II, Schindler was accredited for saving around 1,200 Jewish people that would have certainly have been exterminated. And so in just a second here, We're going to watch a short clip, and this is at the end of the movie, where they knew that Germany was going to lose, the troops were advancing on Germany, and uh, the war was pretty much over. 
And so there was this moment where all of the, the Jews, they called them Schindler Jews, the people that he saved, all of them gathered around him as Schindler was about to leave. And in that moment, there was a gift that one of the guys gave him. He gave him this ring to honor and appreciate the life of Oscar Schindler. And so it was in this moment when the people gathered around Schindler that this clip picks up and, and we see what his response is to those people. And so if you want to roll the film, that would be great. time keeping up, but there was this moment in Schindler's life that he saw clearly his life, his purpose. He saw the value of people in light of how he lived. 
And as he began to recall his possessions, his car, his pen, and all the things that he had, he realized that he could have done so much more with what he had. It was too late. It was done. The moment had arrived. And he lived with this deep sense of regret knowing that he could have done more. He was comforted by the Jewish people saying that generations of people will live because of what he had done. I wonder how many of us here, if we were to stand before God on that day, would respond like Schindler? Would we say to God, if only I hadn't watched so much TV, if I only didn't have to buy that new car, if only I didn't spend so much time on Facebook, if I would have just joined that life share group that my pastor kept bugging me about, if I only, if I only, if I only, I want to encourage us this morning that we, while we have breath in our lungs, have an opportunity to live for that day. Paul's saying simply, church, look carefully how you live. Think about your behavior. Think about how you carry yourself. Make the most of every moment of time that God gives us. And just simply know the will of the Lord for our life. There was a moment in my own life that, as I recall and consider, where God really did something in me, where I, I was just doing the college thing, and, and God got a hold of me and really just brought something in my heart to just say, I want to live for Jesus. I want to just give everything to Him. I don't care about the money. I don't care about my job. I just want to really give my life to Jesus and for the, His cause. And it was around that same time that I had a... a, a Spanish assignment in my class, and so it was just very timely. And my assignment was the professor wanted us to all consider um, a, a moment in, in our life or consider how we want to spend the rest of our lives. What kind of jobs do we want to have? Uh, what does our future look like? Where do we want to retire? Basically just, just kind of map out in Spanish what we want the rest of our lives to look like. And so I don't know about you guys um, taking Spanish class in college, but what made me so angry is that they only would speak in Spanish. I mean, it was like, you know, solamente espanol, por favor. Like, you just like, want to know where the bathroom is. Just tell me in English. I got to go to the bathroom. And it would be like, no, you have to do it in Spanish. Anyone ever had that experience? I get, I get draw, blank draws here. Yeah, like everything, just simple questions after class, professor, da da, and it's like, no, in Spanish. It's like, oh man, I wasn't that good at it. And so it was always a struggle just to even ask where the bathroom was. And so it was in this class that as we were going through it, everyone was going to talk about being doctors, lawyers, accountants, you know, professional athletes, and they want to make millions, have, you know, two and a half kids, three car garage. And just the whole spiel. And I was one of the last person in the class to go. And this was right in that moment in my life where God just was just stirring in me this passion to live for him. And so I basically went up there and, to the best of my Spanish, I began to just read this biography about the future life of David Hamstra. And um, I began by just saying, in my future, that I am going to end up probably a very poor person. Uh, I'm probably going to be pretty unknown by the rest of the world. I'm not going to have much inheritance to give 
to my children. And at this time, you know, like this was very different from what the class was saying. And so I don't know if you've ever been in class where you have like, or situations where you have those awkward laughs where people don't know if you're joking or if you're being serious. You guys ever have that? You're like, ha ha. Uh, it was kind of like that where you're getting those like, ha ha, is he being serious? Should I laugh just to help him out? And so we had some of those laughs. Uh, you know, I hate those moments. It happens to me all the time. Just had, just had a buddy who was on the phone with me and I was calling him. I said, where are you going? He's like, I'm just taking, going to the vet, just going to put my dog down. I thought he was joking. So I started laughing. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And if you're a dog owner here, like, that's your kid. And so I'm on the phone laughing with my buddy, and he was really taking his dog to the vet to put him down. It was the most awkward conversation from that point on. Like, you just don't recover from that. And, you know, change the subject, talk about those bears. It, it just didn't help. And so it was kind of like that, where I was having those, this moment, this class, and I didn't know what to do. And I began to basically describe my life and death and and I said, when I die, it will probably be a death that no one will really take note of. And to be honest, when I die, it will probably be on the streets of some distant country far away from here. And my goal in life, the reason why I want to live a life like this, is because my driving passion is to make the name of Jesus known where he isn't. My ambition, my energy, and my passion, I want it to be spent towards making Jesus famous everywhere I go. And the class at this point got dead quiet, and no one really said anything, and we just filed out of class. And it was then that the professor stopped me, and in English, so it must have had a, a big impact on her, she said, did you mean what you just said? And uh, I had a chance, a wonderful chance, to sit down with her and just share the gospel and how Jesus had transformed my life. I have no idea what uh, effect that had on her. But I knew that there was moments in my life where God was doing something in my heart to say, I want to live for his kingdom and his kingdom alone. And this morning, I, I just want to challenge us. I want to I caution us against just living without purpose, not giving much care to our life and what we're doing, how we're spending our time, our goals, our ambitions, our decision-making processes. I want to challenge us with this. Is our, our driving passion to live for that day where Jesus will return, he will right every wrong, and he will be seen as king over everything? That is what our goal is, that is what our ambition, that is what our passion should be. And this morning, I, I just want to invite you to join in this adventure, to join in following Jesus, to seek first his kingdom over everything else. Amen? You guys, you can really be hearty and say amen. It's okay. Can I, can I get some amen here? I, I, was in Afri- I was in Africa and for a few weeks in August, and I never wanted to go back home because... I'm like, these people actually respond when I say stuff. So um, it's okay. You can, you can actually say amen in church, and you know, you're not going to get struck by lightning, and people aren't going to laugh at you. So uh, amen? amen? All right, you guys need some work, but we're, that's a good start. Um, this morning, I, I want to just invite, um, how do you guys do communion here? Okay, can I have the worship team come up? And um, if I could have the ushers bring uh, the communion elements out, um, this is a great chance for us when we think about communion that we do celebrate this reality of Jesus' life and death for us. 
that we as God's people can celebrate our new life in Christ and live for that day when he's going to return. So I would just ask, can we just um, have a moment where we can hand out the elements? We'll, we'll take it all together. But I want you, where you're at, just to consider, just take a moment. I know in the busyness of our lives, we have so much going on. But we have just a couple minutes here together. And I want to ask that you would just hold on to the bread and juice as they hand it out. And just consider your life. Consider your future. Consider where you're going. And if there's some things that you know that need to be made right, if there's some things that you know God needs to deal with, I just want to invite you just to just take a moment and get your heart right before the Lord. That you would say, man, today I, I'm just, I want to live for you, God. I want to do it. I just want to give everything to you. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, if you're here this morning and you, you just aren't sure about the future and eternity and what that means for you, I want to invite you this morning that you would be able to, for the first time, participate in living for that day. You don't have to question. You don't have to wonder. But you can know that you know in your heart that you've been forgiven by God and that you are living for that day. And so if that's you, I just want you to hold on to the bread and juice and we're just going to pray at the end. Just ask that God would do a deep work even today. So as they're handing that out, let's just take a minute, wait on the Lord. Just ask him just to maybe address directly address these things in our own hearts. Amen.